So let's go ahead and get started. Great to see everybody this evening. And uh, we're going to continue with the Purple Book study. We're on uh, chapter 8, Prayer and Worship. Woohoo! I love this topic. And, uh, but you have to remember, we're not completely deep diving these topics because here's the idea. We want to go through this ourselves, and we're doing a kind of a cursory flyover. But remember, we're doing this so we'll be able to teach somebody else, or walks, not teach, facilitate walking somebody else through it. We're not teaching, we're facilitating. So we let the Word do the teaching. That's why I love the Purple Book is because it's based on the Scripture as opposed to just a lot of commentary and whatnot, which isn't a bad thing necessarily. But I love the way it's laid out. So the idea is, is that you do not have to be a Bible scholar or a theologian, although we all are theologians technically, because we're thinking and logicking about God. That's what a theologian is, logic, theologian, logos, logicking about theos, and that's God. So we are theologians in a sense, but you know what I'm saying, Bible commentators, Bible scholars. So the beauty of it is if you know Jesus and you're walking with Jesus, you can facilitate taking somebody through the purple book, and that's the whole idea. And so you allow them to get in the word, and as the word gets into them, it begins to speak to their heart, to their mind. And, and if you've ever walked with somebody who's brand new in Jesus, they've given their heart to Christ, they're hungry for the Word of God. I was, I was and still am ravenous for the Word of God. Just, I couldn't get enough. And in those early days, I, I would just immerse myself in study and reading and, and the Scripture. And so that's the idea. And so I, that's kind of a mark that I look for in somebody who says, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm like, uh, you know, one of the marks for me or a metric, if you will, is so... So you're really hungry for the Bible. You're really in love with the Scripture. You love because that's what reveals Jesus to us. And so I always look for that mark in, in people who say, I'm a follower of Jesus. So, hey, Max. Hey, guys. It's good to see you all. So let's go ahead and pray as we get started. Father, in Jesus' name, we literally posture ourselves, first of all, as sons and daughters. We're so grateful that our identity in Christ is secure because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. Your word says that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. And so, Lord, as we have the mind of Christ according to your word, we also know that within us are hidden treasures of knowledge and wisdom. And, Father, we want to tap into that. We want to find, we want to tap into that vein, so to speak. We, we want to access that which has been hidden not from us, but hidden for us. And so we want to tap into that and receive and learn and grow and mine out the jewels and nuggets of the Scripture, jewels and nuggets of life, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to represent Jesus well in this world. That's our heart, to live lives on mission. So my prayer, as it always is, and this is sincere from my heart, to yours, Lord, would you open our eyes that we may see, our ears that we may hear, and our hearts that we may know the truth that makes us free. And we honor you in it. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen and amen. So if you do have your purple book, you can turn to chapter 8. Again, we're doing a flyover here. We're not going to overly deep dive, but to that, we're talking about prayer and worship. And so as we get started, I always want to remind you of the harvest vision. Russ, if you'll just throw that up there. The harvest vision, that is our desire, uh, and that's really the mission. That's what is guiding us in a sense. It's something that we feel like the Lord has given us, and it's a sense of this— that we are coming into a season where there's going to be what we call low-hanging fruit. <laughs> you know, you can pick fruit in a tree that you have to climb up into. That's a lot of work. But when you go into a, an orchard and there's a lot of low-hanging fruit, it's effortless. You're just picking it because it's right there. And we believe that the harvest vision speaks to that and that we're going to enter into and are entering to a, into a season where there's low-hanging fruit. And I'll tell you how I'm seeing that played out in, in the short term. For one, just in the favor on relationships out in the community, whether it's going through the checkout line at, at your favorite store or being down on Main Street and bumping into people you know or being at a restaurant or doing life where you live, where you work, and where you play. And then also just even here on Sundays, the people that God is bringing into our church family, and they're coming in because it's safe. We've created an atmosphere. It's called an ethos. An ethos, an atmosphere, a culture, if you will, where people feel like they're safe. 
and they're loved. And here's the deal. People feel accepted here. Now, there's a difference between acceptance and affirmation. We accept everybody, right? We love everybody, but that doesn't mean we affirm everyone's choices or behaviors. Does that make sense? So everybody is welcome here. Everybody, we will accept everybody who God brings through those doors. And we will trust that they walk through those doors because the Holy Spirit has wooed them. Amen? Amen? The scripture says no one can come to the Father unless he's first been drawn to the Father in the book of John. So there's a drawing, a wooing, if you will, that's happening whereby people are coming into our door and they're not people you would normally hang out with. Or they may have a whole value system that is so foreign to you that it's frightening. And maybe in some cases it could be repulsive. Does that make sense? But here's the deal. If we will submit all those emotions to Jesus and say, you know what, I'm not going to operate in the natural. I'm going to operate in the supernatural. The supernatural, the word literally means it's, it's above nature. That's what it means. It's not natural. It's above nature. It's seated above. You know the word circumstance is a circle, and there's a stance that you take in that circle. That's what a circumstance is. And you literally find yourself in a circumstance, right? Does that make sense? So here's the beauty of it. As a follower of Jesus, and one who the Bible tells us we're the head and not the tail, we're above only and not beneath, we're blessed coming in, blessed going out. As a follower of Jesus, we now get to enter into that place where we don't have to live in our circumstance. We have the ability to overcome and literally rise up out of that circumstance. Does that make sense? We've been given the ability to overcome as followers of Jesus. We can walk in, dare I say it, victory. Over life, over sin, over the enemy. We have been given that ability. We are enabled and we are empowered by the Spirit of Jesus who lives inside of us. The Holy Spirit, right? To not be under our circumstances. When I hear people say, well, you know, under the circumstances, I'm like, not me. I refuse to live under the circumstances. That is not our call as followers of Jesus. That doesn't mean it's not difficult. And that doesn't mean drama doesn't happen. Because it will. We've been promised. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The scripture says. So we know that. So it's not an issue of difficulty or comfort or convenience. It's an issue of where do we live and where is our mindset and mentality. Because I'm a follower of Jesus, I don't have to live according to the rules of this world. Because I'm a citizen of the kingdom. As a kingdom citizen, the scripture says I have the mind of Christ. As a citizen kingdom, it says in me, because of Christ in me, are hidden all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. We covered that in Colossians. Is that not amazing? It also says we're unaccusable. You start adding all that together and putting that into your bio, your bio is going to look pretty impressive. Unaccusable, holy, blameless, above reproach, without fault. All of that is your bio as a follower of Jesus, and that should make you walk a little bit taller. And then when the circumstance happens, you can say, you know what? According to the scripture, I do not have to live under that. I can actually live over that. Yeah, these are bold words, I know, but it's just the Bible. This is Bible. This is Bible 101. And so what we want to do is we want to continue to teach and bang this drum so that we begin to align our thinking with the Scripture. As we align our thinking with the Word of God, it will change the way you live. It will change the way you handle circumstances and the drama that comes your way. And you will become not only unaccusable, you'll become impermeable where the enemy can't penetrate you. Does that make sense? So that's the goal. That's what we're doing. That's why we're continuing to stay in this thing, stay on this thing, and not let go. We've got to be like, a, like somebody just working a rib bone on the 4th of July, right? Just hang on to it for dear life. And that's what we're doing. We're hanging on and saying, this word is a word for me. This, word, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Come on, somebody. I didn't plan on preaching, but I was just going to teach tonight. But I think we should, we need to go there. Because that is who we are in Christ. And I'm telling you, when you start to get that and the, and the shoe drops for you and you realize who you are, I'm telling you, no devil in hell can talk you out of it. Much less some person that comes your way. Or a circumstance that you are no longer under, but you are now over. Does that make sense? 
So that's who you are. So I'm, I'm looking at a bunch of world changers. I'm looking at a bunch of overcomers. I'm looking at a bunch of people who are victorious because the Bible says you are. And whose report are you going to believe? I'm going to believe the report of the Lord. Amen? What does God say? Because that's all that matters at the end of the day. Because my citizenship isn't here. It's there. It's in another kingdom. Why did Jesus sleep in a boat? Because he was dreaming of another kingdom. He was somewhere else. He wasn't worried about the boat sinking while all the disciples were losing their minds. He was sleeping because he understood where his citizenship is. Does that make sense? So as we enter into this, we're, we're entering into it with the perspective of, in the end, we win. And in the meantime, we get to win there too. Isn't that crazy? How many win-win deals are there in the world these days? Not a lot. But you being a follower of Jesus is a win-win deal. If you get killed, guess what? You win. <laughs> Paul said it. You know, to live as Christ, to die as what? Gain. He says, but for your sakes, I'll hang around for a while. I mean, literally, that's what Paul said. He said, but for you, I'm going to stay around. Paul could have just vacated the planet. He was ready to go. But he said, for your sakes, I'm going to stay. And he understood where his citizenship was. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, when we get a hold of this, and this begins work being worked into not only our spirit, but our thoughts, our mentality. You know, our minds are renewed by changing the way we think. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12, 2 says. But in the New Living, it says, be transformed by changing the way you think. And that's what this is doing. We're realigning our thoughts, our mentalities with the Scripture, and suddenly we just walk different and talk different. Yeah. Amen? So, anyway, I'm looking at a bunch of world changers right here. I'm looking, I'm looking at a bunch of scary people. You're those people in that church down the road. You know what I mean? That scare people. Because you're not daunted by circumstances. You live over them, not under them. Amen? Amen. So, but you will receive power. Look at the scripture up there. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So here's the question. Has the Holy Spirit come upon us? Oh, yeah. yes. Woohoo! Yeah. So what do we have? Not just exousia, which is authority. We have dunamis, which is dynamite. That's how we transliterate the word dunamis into dynamite. It's explosive. And according to Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, which, yes, it's that thick, makes a great book stop, uh, doorstop, but I'm tell and a booster seat for the child. But I'm saying, because it's huge. But that, that way they define that, and I love it in Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, is power for working miracles. That's what dunamis is. You have dunamis available to you. Did you know that? Do you believe that? We know God's able, but is he willing? Amen? Yeah, I sound like I'm splitting hairs, but it's good to split hairs when you're talking these things. Amen? Because a little hair makes a big difference, right? So listen to this. You'll receive power dunamis. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We know that that means locally, and it means more translocal, and even unto the, I mean, and then Samaria, that place, right? The other side of the tracks, that was Samaria, where the Gentiles were. He says, you're going to even go into, you're going to go to the Gentiles. That's what he was telling them here. Which, I don't know if they caught it immediately or they would have freaked out, I think. But, I think they, were, but they were so overwhelmed when the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were like, let's go. We'll go where, where he tells us to go. So that's the harvest vision. You see the four Ds there. I'm not going to go. And skip, if you would, Russ, to uh, number five, where we start chapter eight, prayer and worship. Uh, slide five, if it lines up on the same thing. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. This is from Paul in Philippians chapter four. It's just about three slides ahead there. There you go. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. If Paul's saying it twice, what do you think he means? Rejoice. Do it. By the way, to rejoice is something you do, not just something you are. It's not just a, a state of mind. It's actually something you do. It's a verb, not a noun. To rejoice means I actually rejoice. I actually exult. I actually, I actually have an active piece to that. So for me in my truck, I may be saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, you're awesome. I may bang my steering wheel when I hear a song I like on the, on the radio. And I just, yes, Lord, that is so true. Fear is a liar. Y'all heard that song? I mean, I love that song. Fear is a liar. Yes, it is. I'll, I'll be in agreement with that. I may bang my steering wheel. I'm exalting. I'm rejoicing. I'm saying, yes, Lord. I'm letting my body respond to truth. 
And when our bodies respond to truth, something has to come out. Something has to give. Amen? So listen to this. Rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. Wow. What do you think that means in the Greek? Always. <laughs> Keep going. And again, I say it. He says, the Lord is near. Isn't that beautiful? He's near. I always talk about his hearness and his nearness. He is hearness and nearness. I think hearness is a word I made up, but I like it because it works it works in alliteration. It's hearness and nearness. Do not be anxious about anything except your finances. Don't be anxious about anything except, except your kids spinning out. I mean, come on, we could go down the list on this one, right? We all have a list, probably. Do not be anxious about anything. I always translated that as do not sweat the small stuff or the big stuff. But in every situation, you hearing this? About anything, every, it's, he's very descriptive. In every situation, by prayer and petition. Petition is presenting before. You're bringing a petition to. We see petitions go around on political issues or the pipeline here in Fredericksburg or the various things. That, these are petitions that go around. We're petitioning the Lord. He says, by prayer and petition, in every situation. Every circumstance with gratitude, with thanksgiving. Most underrated value in the Bible is gratitude. Gratitude completely changes the trajectory of your attitude. Amen? It changes everything. It turns lack into, into abundance. Steve? You know, we're given the precedence of how we approach the Lord in the Psalm of It says you enter his gates not with there you go. Beautiful. Then you go into the courts with praise. And then you go into the inner courts with worship and adoration. And nine times out of ten, Steve, when I go in with gratitude, I hardly ever get to the petitions. I just can't get off the gratitude piece. I'm just so thankful. I'm just so grateful. When you start with that, by the time you get to your petitions, you're like, ah, that wasn't a big deal. I mean, it's just, you get perspective when you're in gratitude and when you're in Amen. When you're in Thanksgiving, and I love Psalm 100, you enter with gratitude, enter with thanksgiving and, and praise. You come in. We're talking about worship tonight, too. We come into his presence with those things. Yes? I would, I would implore everyone in this church, I love to get prayers, but I love to get praise. There you go. You know, that's so true because we do tend to share the bad news more than the good. We need to come back and say, now let me tell you what happened. Yes, yes. Let me tell you what God did in that circumstance. Amen. You better preach. You know, that may be something good for me to say. When we do, when we do the prayer, I'll try to remember. Help me remember on Sunday. Please write it down or something. If it's not written, it won't happen. I promise. Just ask Russ. And if anybody here wants to be a prayer warrior, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful, and it needs to be said. Hey, and by the way, those of you who fill out prayer requests, uh, when you get an answer to that prayer, please fill out another one saying, here's the response. Here's what God did. Because I tell you, they give us a chance to show up. Yeah, because we need to celebrate that. Celebrate what God's up to. Amen. Good word. Good word. Amen. Beautiful. Beautiful. So here's what we do. Once we've done all of that, we present our request to God. That's Paul in Philippians 4. Next scripture says this. This is again, Apostle Paul, the missionary Paul, the apostle, the missionary. 1 Timothy 2.8. I want the men everywhere to do what? Wow. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Isn't that clear? I don't see any theological acrobatics that have to be done to make that statement say what it says. It just says what it says. And the best rule of thumb when reading the Bible is let the Bible interpret the Bible. Yeah. Let the Bible say what it says. I want the men everywhere to pray. Lifting up holy hands without anger, <laughs> without anger or disputing. <laughs> I'm just saying that's what the Bible said. You can lift up your cane if you want. <laughs> In fact, when you don't, I get nervous. I'm like, uh-oh, the Holy Spirit's not moving today because the cane hasn't come up yet. So, <laughs> James 5.16, the prayer. Look at this. The prayer of a righteous 
person. Uh, I love the old King James of a righteous man availeth much, right? I love it's beautiful. The prayer of a righteous person. But look what availeth much means. Powerful and effective. Powerful and effective. Here's some good news for you. If you're in Christ, you're righteous. Did you know you've been made to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? This comes back to our identity. You see why identity is so important? Because you can read that and go, well, you know, I had a bad day. So my prayers aren't clear in the ceiling. You ever felt that way? You can feel that way, but that doesn't mean it's the truth. Just because you feel some way doesn't mean that's the way it is. Am I the only one whose emotions have not played out accurately? Am I the only human in the room? <laughs> I've learned that it doesn't matter how I feel. In fact, two weeks ago, y'all didn't know this, but I, I was up until 2 o'clock in the morning, and we had moved for two days from Fredericksburg out to, out to Falling Water area on 87. And at Saturday morning at 1 o'clock, I looked at Annette, and I said, Honey, I love you, but I've got to take a shower and go to bed because I'm preaching in three, four hours. And I went to bed at 2 a.m., dog-tired, and I got up at 4.30 a.m., because that's what I do every Sunday morning, to prepare my heart more than prepare the message. God wants to prepare the messenger before the message, so I just get before the Lord. I got up at 4.30, as I always do, and I got here, and I'm telling you, I came alive. It was like, and here's the thing Annette said. She said, it's going to be really good this morning, because you're so tired, it's going to be all God. <laughs> we... That's the truth. I, she said it, and I believe it. And we used to say this about my worship leader who, when we were in Abilene, Billy Bob White was his name. And Billy Bob was a wild man for Jesus, young guy. And he used to do a lot of uh, Disciple Now weekends. He did a lot of retreats during the summers. All over the whole Baptist world, he, he would travel. And oftentimes, they didn't get through till Saturday night. So his band, he would lead worship at these things. So they would drive all night to get to church to lead worship on Sunday. And so whenever I, I hear that Billy had a, uh, had a retreat or a Disciple Now weekend or a camp, I was like, oh, it's going to be awesome. Because he would show up so exhausted, so tired. He'd barely, and I mean, this poor kid, he had so much duct tape on his keyboard. He had dropped it so many times. He had hauled it so many places. He literally had duct tape around that thing. And I kid you not, he would get up there completely depleted physically. And guess what would happen? That's when God would show up. And we used to joke with him and say, man, go, go do something. You don't have a retreat this weekend? Oh, man, go, go stay out all night on Saturday. <laughs> go do something. We'd joke around with it because it was always more powerful because we understood the principle that when we get to the end of ourselves, that's when he comes full on. And so that Sunday morning, two weeks ago, I was, just, I was like, I showed up in a fog, and the fog lifted. And by the time I got through the second service, I was just like, let's just, let's just charge the gates of hell with a super soaker. I'm ready. Let's go. I have no fear. Until I got out in the parking lot and sat in my truck, and it was like, whoa, it just the whole thing hit me. I was so exhausted. I, I drove home just like 30 miles an hour, you know, just uh, trying to put off as long as possible the inevitable. That's fitting, getting the whole house together. But I'm telling you, God shows up when we get to the end of ourselves. We've been made to be the righteous of God. Did I feel spiritual that morning before I got here? I felt tired before I got here. I was exhausted. But guess what? God showed up. Amen? So it didn't matter how I felt because I knew what was going to happen. I knew how God works. That's his MO, right? So the next scripture or next, uh, again, we're talking about prayer and worship. This is a statement from uh, Dr. Rice Brooks. Christianity is more than just, oh, no, no, that's actually from John... No, that's it. That's good. Christianity is more than just a religion. It's a relationship between God and humanity. Please understand that. That is the point of all this thing. It's a relationship with him. That's what he desires more than what we do in here. It's not just what we do. It's who we are and how we relate to him. Sometimes I have to remind our own staff, put your list aside and be with him. Take some God pauses. That's what I talked about in our staff meeting this week. Take some God pauses and just breathe and, and enjoy Him. And the list will get done. Just focus on Him and just recalibrate your scale often throughout the day. All relationships grow through communication. And all the ladies said, 
And all the men said, mm-hmm, that's the truth. The better the communication, the better the relationship will be. Communication is a two-way process involving both talking and listening. Do you ever find yourself praying a lot but not listening much? Every once in a while, the Holy Spirit will check me up and go, okay, it's time for you to be quiet and just listen and be still and know that he's God. And because it is, our tendency is uh, to bring our lists, our petitions. I will say the older I get, the less talking I'm doing. Uh, Max did a thing on simple prayer a few years ago. It was beautiful where he took the, the Lord's Prayer, just broke it down to a few statements. And Miss Charlene prints that almost all of your, you start that on your, on your, Except on your. Oh, wow. I liked his too. So, so his had a huge influence on me just in that simplicity. Yeah, go back and forth. They're both good. But just, so anyway, I was so impressed by it because he just boiled it down and, and it just, it, for me it was confirmation. I think I lived in Nashville when, when that came out. And uh, he came and spoke at Ramsey Solutions where I worked. So I didn't get to meet him. I was looking for a photo op, but I couldn't get to him because everybody was mobbing him. And I didn't know Max at all, nor did I have an idea that I was going to end up being here working with him. And so that was a huge thing. But it was really cool because he talked about simple prayer when he came. And it, just the beauty of the simplicity, it's not about a lot of words. And sometimes it's just about listening and being with him. God talks to us. This is the next slide. God talks to us in many ways, but primarily through his word. We talk to him through prayer, through worship. We listen to him as we read the scripture, the Bible. He listens to us when we pray and worship. We respond to his word with action. He responds to our prayers and worship with action. There's this interplay. That's, that's all that's saying. It's that it's give and take. It's an interplay because it's a relationship. It's not about checking a box. And, and that, I say that, I use that terminology a lot. But he wants us to be with him. And he wants us to want to be with him. And so for me, now people handle things differently and people have different personality bents. Some people hear God very clearly. Like in their mind, their spirit, whatever. Not so much for me, but the word of God is how he has primarily spoken to me my entire life. And I went on a retreat, a personal retreat one time because I, I was determined to hear God's voice. And man, I was being stubborn. I was like, Lord, I want you to speak to me. I want, I want you to speak. And I kept, these scriptures kept coming to mind. I, I didn't want that. I wanted him. I want you to speak to me. And, and I got exasperated after about four hours of that. I'd prayed everything I could think to pray. I was trying to fast. and I was hungry and grumpy and getting hangry. You know what I mean? And, and it wasn't going great that first day of the retreat, my personal three-day retreat. I'm like, I've got two more days of this. And what am I going to do? You know, I'm, I'm fasting from the Internet. I'm, I'm just me and God in a journal and in a Bible. And I had an iPad, uh, one of those first generations, and I pulled up the Bible on the iPad. And I mean, it was just like... So after about 40 minutes of what I thought was wasting time going through the scripture, it began to dawn on me, this is how he was speaking to me. Loud and clear. And it felt like, does anybody remember the Thompson Chain Reference Bible? Remember those? Those are awesome. They're great. I felt like a Thompson Chain Reference Bible. Every time I would look up a scripture, I would get an unction for another scripture, and I would go to that scripture, and then I'd get another unction, and it was like I went on this journey through the scripture where he was speaking to me through the Bible. And it dawned on me my entire Christian life where I had told people, yeah, I don't really hear God like some people do. He had been speaking to me my entire Christian life through the word. And it was the first time I really connected the dot on that. He speaks loud and clear to me, but he speaks it through his word. And again, some people hear him in other ways, and that's beautiful. I, I, a little bit envious sometimes when somebody says, oh, God told me this. I'm like, he like, told you? Like, really told you? And yeah, you know, I'm like, that's awesome. Well, he showed me a scripture, you know, so, yeah. We do have to be discerning. We have to. This is what he's saying. This yeah. Is yeah. It comes out to you and he kind of magnifies it. And you know, you can't argue with it. You can't change it. 
it says this. Yes, yes. And, and what I always do, if somebody says God said something, I'm like, I'm making sure it lines up with the written word, the revealed word. Huh? There you go. I do. Yeah, I'm back, I'm back in going, okay, let's make sure. Are we in alignment here? Because if we're not, we have a problem. You know, Houston, we have a problem. So, uh, we respond to his word with action. He responds to ours. Now, let's keep going. By observing Jesus' personal prayer life, we find two keys to effective prayer. This is so cool. Remember, you're teaching this to a person. You're, you're, you're facilitating this to a brand new follower of Jesus. And you're helping them understand. So, it may sound simplistic to you. It's supposed to. This is basic. This is 101. So listen to this. We find two keys to effective prayer. Again, you're talking to somebody or walking somebody through this who doesn't know. They haven't been to Bible school or Sunday school or church training or a thousand Wednesday night studies. You know, they're new. And here's this. A specific time in a private place. And we see this in the life of Jesus. So let's look at a couple of scriptures. When and where did Jesus pray? Mark. Remember, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four brothers, right? We call them the four brothers. They're, they're the disciples. But remember, Luke wrote the book of Acts. Remember that? But Mark is like the highlight reel of the gospel. He's like the action book. He's like, he's like sports center, you know, at night. You know, I mean, this is like the ESPN highlight reel. So, so Mark gives you a quick, active flyby of the gospel. And look in Mark chapter 1 verse 35. It says this, very early in the morning while it was still what? Now if you live in Nashville, Tennessee, that would be like 3.30 because the sun comes up very early in Nashville because it's on the edge of the timeline, the time zone. And when we moved there, I was not ready for that. I mean, the sun's coming up at 4.30. I'm going, what is going on here? Somebody messed with my clock. Actually, it's on the edge of the time zone, our time zone. And it literally, the sun comes up 4.35 o'clock and it's like, throws your whole day completely off. Which means the sun goes down very early in the evening. So, he got up while it was still dark 30. That's pretty early, isn't it? Still dark. Jesus got up. He left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So we just moved out to this place, and we have a, a little bit of a hill that goes down behind us, and then there's a creek down there. It's the first time I've ever had a creek, so I'm kind of excited. I'm very nerdy about this. So we've got a creek down there, but I have this little open stand under these trees, and it's like a natural just covering over this beautiful little area. And I told Annette, I said, that's going to be, well, when we looked at the house and I walked under those trees, I looked up to this one beautiful tree and I said, God, I'm going to meet you right here. This is going to be our meeting place. So I told Annette, uh, I said, I want to get a little seat or a bench seat and take it down there and just put it under that tree. So in the mornings when I get up, I'm just going to walk down the hill and have a place to meet with God. I want a place to meet with God. You know what I mean? Just a place. Now, some people may have a closet, a war room. Remember that movie, The War Room? And all of a sudden, people were tearing their closets out all over America to build a war room, right? And putting stuff up on the walls. Well, if you have a nice walk-in closet, that's amazing. Because when you're in there, have you ever noticed how dead the sound is because of all your clothes around there? And you can just go to war. You can pray. So it's great to have a place. And I always tell new believers, I say, find you a place. And find you a time. And try to stay consistent with that. What are you doing? You're building a discipline into your life. And so as a new follower of Jesus, it's good to have a, a time and a place to do that. So Jesus went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Number three, this is skipping number two. Where did Jesus teach his followers to pray? Where? Matthew 6, 6. Remember that? It was part of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus was teaching uh, all the people that came to him on the side of that hill just by the lake of Galilee. He says this, when you pray, not if you pray. Do you notice that? <laughs> when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your heavenly Father. War room. There you go. He says, who is unseen, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He says, hey, find a secret place. Find a quiet place. I like turning my truck, my cab of my truck into a cathedral. You know what I mean? So I used to say my, ca my Camry was a cathedral. I turned my Camry, now it's my cab is a cathedral. I like meeting with God in the shower. I like meeting with him in the, in the cab of my truck. 
driving in today, 16 minutes from here to my doorstep, and I was able to pray the whole way and prepare my heart. By the time I got here, I'm so prayed up, I'm ready to just, just tear the devil up. You know what I mean? So just finding that place, that secret place, and meeting with God. To the hypocrites of Jesus' day, this is the next one, chapter 8, lesson 1, personal prayer. To the hypocrites of Jesus' day, prayer was a form of spiritual one-upmanship, a way of showing off in front of others. Jesus taught that prayer should be an intimate time of connection with the Father, not a time for impressing others with our religious vocabulary. I don't know about you, I've been in pray-offs before. You ever been in a pray-off? That's where a lot of people are praying, and it's like getting more intense every time. So we were starting a conference in Nashville, and I was asked to be a part of it. And uh, I, had, I was over all the production at that time, and we had uh, uh, the, the lead worshiper, um, Henry Seeley from um, Planet Shakers in Australia there. And he, I, I'd done all the setup, and we'd gotten the fog machines ready, and all. we were ready to go. And, uh, and then they had a little pray-off at the beginning of it. It was televised and webcam and all that stuff. And one of the leaders, Dr. Rice Brooks, who wrote this, walked over to me. And he said, he said, Pastor Jimmy, he said, I'm glad we have a real pastor in the house. He was speaking to me because when everybody else was getting real wound up, I walked up there and prayed a very quiet, very soft prayer. I didn't pray about God. I prayed to him. I don't know if y'all have ever noticed the way I pray. I'm very intentional. But I talk to him directly. I don't say things like, Father, I would just ask that you... Is that even proper English? If you were to say that to me, I'd go, huh? What? Sometimes in the way we pray, we almost betray our hearts because we almost don't talk to him directly. So a long time ago, and I heard this from... Um, I'll think of it, it as a, a missionary... It wasn't Lottie Moon, but it was another. Corey Ten Boom is where I learned this. And I had read something about the way she prayed, where she would address him as Father. She didn't say, Oh God, Oh Almighty Father. Or she'd say, Fada. <laughs> she had an accent, a very thick accent. She'd say, Father. And when she prayed for a man one time, and, and someone told the story, she prayed directly to him. And I heard that story. It so marked me. And it made me realize I'm often praying in like third or second person. I'm not even talking to him in first person. So what I did is in my car, I had a Camry, the one that I turned into a cathedral at the time. And I would, I would pretend while I'm driving that he was sitting in the car. And I would ask myself, how would I talk to God if he was sitting like a passenger in my car? It changed the way I prayed. So now when I pray, I say, Father, thank you so much for who you are. And so I'll ask a question. I don't say, Father, I would just ask. I actually ask, Father, would you? Father, would you come? Would you show up? Father, would you touch so-and-so? I prayed for several people today as I got notices of people who needed prayer today. And I said, Father, would you encourage them? Father, would you bless them? I actually ask him to. I don't say, Father, I ask that you would bless them. And here's the thing. I dare you to try this. It's hard. I had to change my, I had to reroute my language and what I had gotten used to in my prayer life to instead of saying, Father, I would ask that you, and those kinds of things, I begin to say, Father, would you? As though he was right with me. Does that make sense? This is tricky. It's so subtle that we miss it. Well, now, when I hear other people pray, I notice it immediately because it's a new filter in my life. Or not new, it's been this way for years. So if you'll notice when I pray, I'll say, Father, would you bless us tonight? Father, would you open our hearts? Would you open our eyes that we may see? Would you, would you, would you? I'm asking, I'm asking. I'm not saying I'm going to ask. Father, I ask that you would open our hearts. Father, I ask that I... See the difference? This sounds like a subtle thing. A trial lawyer would get this. But it sounds subtle, but it's huge because it's from, it's from almost impersonal to personal. It shifts the mindset. We're called to intimacy with him. So let's be intimate with him and talk to him like he's a real person, not some alien out there. Real quick, I, it didn't make any sense to me, but speak about any room behind closed door alone, that's when you pray. But I did it on a kind of a dare. Uh, you said words were power containers, so... 
I'm thinking he knows our needs before we even ask, so I don't need to do it out loud. But Jimmy said power, words of power can tell you, so I said, okay, I'll try it. And it did make a difference. <laughs> and it was, little, it was subtle because it made no sense mentally. But I said, what do you got to lose? So I tried it and I noticed right away. But the way I would explain it is it differentiated my thinking and musing in my own head mm. from a distinct conversation with him. Because when I was thinking, praying silently, it would wander off. Mm-hmm. You know, it's transformed into a like a to-do list or something like that. There you you're go. Having a conversation out loud, even though you're alone and alone in, in a room. That's good, Jerry. And you do it out loud. It's now a conversation instead of a musing that somehow wanders off down a rabbit. <laughs> That's a good distinction. In fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna even give a little trick here. Not a trick, but just a a way, an exercise in even what agreement means and how to agree with somebody in prayer out loud. So let's keep going. I want to go. I want to get there, okay? So here it is. Let's go to the next one. To whom did Jesus say we should pray? Gosh, this is so clear. But when you pray, go into your room, close your door, and pray to who? Your father. My papa. My Abba. I call him Abba. You call him Papa. Daddy, I, I don't care what you call him. Just call him and make it yours. Make it personal. Don't put him off in the stratosphere. He wants to be with you. I dare you to pretend. Put a chair in your war room if you have a war room. Or if you're in your vehicle. Put a chair there and literally, as though he's sitting there, see if it changes the way you speak. You're going to trip all over yourself because you're so ingrained in doing it a certain way. When you begin to form a new habit, a new way, it's going to feel a little bit awkward. You're going to have to think about it and go, oh, wait, no, that, wait, no, I don't just ask you that. Father, would you? It changes. And what it will do, I'm, I'm, I, I give you a, I don't know, a theological back guarantee on this. I don't even know how to say this. But if you will do this, it will, it will elevate your intimacy with him immediately. I guarantee it. Because you will find yourself talking to him instead of about him. Does that make sense? This is huge. Make it personal. It is a relationship. Steve, yes. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. We're one. We're one. This is Jesus speaking of the Father. Jesus spoke to the Father. He didn't say in Jesus' name. He's Jesus. But can you pray to Jesus? And this is interesting because this has come up before. And absolutely you can pray. I pray to Jesus. I pray to the Father. I pray to the Son. I pray to the Holy Spirit because it's three in one and one in three. I have no problem with that whatsoever. So look at the next. So, so that's a great, that is a great, and it is, that has split churches. You're right. It has split churches down the middle. Listen to this. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. That's what Jerry was referring to. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus is saying, here's how you do it. Here, here, here's what you do. Our Father in heaven. Now, we can't, we're not going to break down or pull apart the, the disciples' prayer. Because that's what it is. It's not just the Lord's prayer. It's the disciples. This is what I want you to pray. This is how you pray. So the question is, is he saying you pray this way every time? Or is he giving a general, a general principle? Some people pray this as though this is the prayer. But you can translate every one of those words a number of ways and make it say something completely different. So we've got to be careful that we don't log, you know, launch into legalism on these things and we say this is the only way. <laughs> and I have learned to not say this is the only way. I say this may be a way. <laughs> but listen to him. Walk with him. And really the whole idea is getting to him. So look at the next Next slide. The fact that we can call God our Father when we pray is nothing short of amazing. Would you agree with that? Father. Now he was saying our Father in the context of a group. They were together. But when I'm with him by myself, I don't say our Father. 
say, my father, my father, how amazing is your name, hallowed, honored, majestic. The Old Testament taught that God was a father to his people in Deuteronomy 32, Isaiah 63, Malachi 2.10. But before Jesus, virtually no one addressed God as their father. This is fascinating. When they prayed, Jesus brings us into a new level of relationship with God. Through Jesus, God adopts us and becomes our what? Is that not amazing? That before Jesus, they would not address God as Father. In fact, they wouldn't even write the whole Tetragrammaton. They would not even write the whole name God. They'd never use that name, Yahweh. They, would, they, were, they were so reverenced in one sense, but they were also very entrenched in legalism that they wouldn't even use the name. Jesus comes along and says, Father. No wonder the Pharisees and Sadducees wanted to kill him. He was turning everything on its ear. So look at the next slide. Number one, this is lesson two, the power of prayer. What does Jesus promise to those who ask, seek, and knock? Matthew 7, again, out of the Sermon on the Mount. Ask, it will be given to you. Is that pretty clear? Sort of. With a caveat. We have to look at what the original language says. And here's what it says. Ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you. That is actually what it says. The original language is a, it's a continuous thought. It's a continuous thing. Ask and keep on asking. It will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking. You will find. Knock and keep on knocking. And the door will be open to you. Does that change the connotation a little bit? Does it up, up the game a little bit? We're just biggie-sized that scripture because suddenly it doesn't mean I ask once, well, he didn't answer, so God doesn't answer prayer. It's like, whoa, I'm supposed to ask and keep asking. And we're going to look at the persistent widow in a minute when Jesus said, you need to do it like this. And it's radical. It's intense. So look what it says. For everyone who asks, by the way, same tense on this, for everyone who asks and keeps on asking receives, he who seeks and keeps seeking finds, and to him who knocks and keeps knocking, the door will be opened. Does that say something a little bit different? What does that say about our persistence and tenacity in prayer? It says keep on. <laughs> keep on. It may mean we're, we're coming up a little bit short. Yeah. We're, not, we're not knocking and keep knocking and... We should be like a battering ram on the door. Well, also, it doesn't put an artificial deadline on it. No. Well, I asked. They didn't know. you got to keep on asking. So the deadline had to expire. What is a statute of limitations on prayer? <laughs> there is none. <laughs> Hello. We stay after it. Now, look what happened. This is so cool. I love this. In Matthew 9, 11, what does he promise? Which of you, now Jesus, he spins a little story here. Which of you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? What's rhetorical? Of course not. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, <laughs> thank you, Lord, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more? The Luke passage is, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He even gets more specific. How much more will he give good gifts who ask and keep on asking? Do you hear that? And it almost sounds like Jesus is telling us to be persistent. It's almost like Jesus is saying, don't stop asking. Hey, did any of y'all ever have a kid that was like that? Did any of y'all raise a child that was that way? <laughs> no? no? Yeah, right. I know. I see that hand. So, and that kid would wear you out, right? And you just finally cave, right? No. Oh, yeah. I wore my parents out. I knew how to work. The, I worked my magic on my parents. I'm kidding you not. But then I became a follower of Jesus. I'd pray once and God didn't answer. I thought, oh, that must not be the will of the Lord. It may be that I'm the one who didn't carry through because I didn't operate according to the scripture. When I learned this principle, oh, it so changed my prayer life. I got busy and I got loud. Not, not dramatic, but out loud. I spoke my words into the atmosphere because I understood the power of words to actually change atmospheres. And I began to speak the word of God. Speak what I knew the revealed will of God was. And there's a key. What is the revealed will of God? Well, we find his will in his what? In his word. And when you find the revealed will of God, he's willing that none should perish. So how should I pray for the lost? 
persistently, nonstop. He's willing that none should perish. That is the revealed will of God that he wants everybody to be saved. So what is my responsibility? It's to speak the gospel, the truth, but it is also to pray and believe that my dad is going to come to know Jesus in a personal way before he goes home. I want him to go home. <laughs> the right place. Does that make sense? And this is why, as I've gotten older in Christ and begin to understand the good news of grace, that I don't have to spend four hours enumerating because he forgave me once for all. He, he covered that. But it doesn't lessen the impact. But when I was a young Christian, knew and did not have that understanding and did not, I mean, literally, I would, I would spend a lot of times in the evening, and sometimes it was a lot of time because I had racked up a whole list. about, And I would in a very, I don't want to say primitive, but very um, childish way because all I knew to do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess every sin. He finally stopped me on that. He finally said, you're good. Hey, I've got you. And as I began to learn about his love for me and that revelation, layer by layer, and it took time, I began to realize his love for me and that he really did forgive. It was done. It was under the blood. And so now I don't run around enumerating every sin. Because it's not about what I repent from, because repentance is not just repenting from something, it's turning towards something. So now I'm more focused on what I'm turning toward than what I'm turning away from. So I don't spend a lot of time with the sin. I spend a lot of time with Jesus. And it changes my perspective on that. Does that make sense? So repentance isn't just about enumerating sin after sin after sin because you're right. It is nasty, ugly, and vile. It is, it is not spending all that time wallowing in that. It's turning to the one who can heal me, the one who can save me, the one who cleanses me, the one who forgives me, the one who extends mercy and grace, things I don't deserve. And, and now I spend my time with him, not enumerating sin. And when I do that, oh my gosh, joy comes. Because in his presence is fullness of joy. Guess what? It's second fruit of the Spirit. Yes. Come on. On Sunday, we're going to talk about our life is hidden in Christ. We have, we have died, and our life is hidden in Christ. That's, it's echoes Galatians 2.20. It's interesting how the Scripture just ties itself all together. There's such consistency in it. So, I want to get to something before we land the plane. Jesus said, if you believe... You will receive what you ask for in prayer. Oh, my gosh. I also love Mark chapter 11 on this one. Uh, just the power of believing and even speaking to mountains. And I've learned in my walk with Jesus over the years, if there's a mountain in front of me, I just, I just say that's a vapor. That's a myth. That doesn't even exist in the kingdom. And let me, so I speak to the mountain. And then I walk through it like it's a vapor, like a mister at Six Flags. You know, those little things that spray on you. It's like, there's nothing there. So anyway, let me get something real quick. So I'm going to move quickly. There's a, you can read this for yourself, and you should. So I'm going to move quickly, Russ. We're not going to do the persistent widow because we sort of did. What I want to get to is agreement. I'm moving quickly through a lot of slides here because I want to land with this. All right, go to slide number 25. We'll go to 24 if you would, Russ. Thank you. Can you find that? If you have numbers on it. It's actually in uh, chapter 8, lesson 3, corporate prayer number 2. Chapter 8, Lesson 3, Number 2, Corporate Prayer. And it's Acts 4.23. You're a rock star. What did the believers do when they heard of Peter and John's arrest and persecution? Now, corporately. 
corporately. This is what they did. Look what happened. Verse 23 in Acts. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices, what? Together in prayer to God. I don't know if y'all noticed this, but when I brought Austin up on the platform on Sunday in the second service, he was in shorts and sandals because he didn't know he was going to be on stage, nor did I. But when I talked to him and when I found out about Emma's visa situation, that they may have to literally leave their daughter while they go to Northern Ireland. I'm like, this is not good. And literally, I was overcome with emotion. And by the time I got on the platform we were going, I, I actually announced, I'm calling an audible here. Okay? I'm, I'm calling an audible. And I brought Austin up on the stage. And guess what? I didn't just pray for him. We prayed for him. Oh my gosh, were you in the second service? I just got guilt choosing. People were standing and had their hands extended. It was like the whole congregation leaned in and we prayed and we went after this because nobody wants to see a child separated from their family to go on the mission field. Something's not right with that. And we knew it wasn't right and corporately we entered in agreement and there is power when the church comes together and agrees. There is power in corporate prayer. Let me say something about agreement as we land tonight. I learned this years ago. I've been called on staff out in Southern California, up in the high desert there, church in Victorville, California. Powerful church that was in the middle of a powerful move of God. It was a Southern Baptist church that wasn't Southern Baptist no more. Because God had showed up and just wrecked everything. And I mean, it was growing. And the elders and the pastors, we'd get together on uh, one morning a week and we would pray. We would go after God. Those men taught me how to pray. This young man how to pray. And I'd sit around these men and listen to them go after God. Let me tell you, when they prayed, it wasn't quiet. It wasn't polite. It, it wasn't chill. It was... It, I, I, I won't say it was violent, but it got that way at times where there was such intensity behind their prayer because, man, we were going after, we were, trying to, we were trying to save people from hell. I mean, we were going after people, and we were going after God. And I remember this one elder, every time somebody would say something, he'd say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And I heard it come out of him. He was a firefighter. And I loved him and I had great respect for him because my dad was a firefighter. So I had great respect for him. And every time somebody would say something out loud, he'd say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And one day I, I, and we were on a retreat together and I said, Glenn, why do, you, why do you always say yes, Lord? He said, well, he said, honestly, it's to keep myself on track with the prayer. He said, if I don't say anything out loud, I'll just start to wander off and I'll check out. He goes, do you ever do that when you pray? I said, all the time. I mean, when, when we're in corporate or to get, you know, in prayer, I said, all the time. He said, try agreeing out loud and see if it helps you stay in it. And from that moment forth, I sound just like Glenn. And, I, and so when I'm praying, I just, yes, Lord. When I first got to Oak Hills and we were over at Central Support and they started praying and it was like super quiet, I was going, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Why? Because I want to stay. I want to be in agreement with what that person's praying. And the reason I want to be in agreement is because we're enacting corporate prayer here and there's power in agreement. And I'll show you how and what the scripture says. We're going to keep moving forward, Russ. Uh, number eight. Here it is. Uh, Less, uh, lesson three, number eight. What is, there it is. What is the essential in corporate prayer? Matthew 18, 19. Now look what it says. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree. There's something about believers when we come together, God loves unity. Oh my gosh. That's where he commands the blessing, by the way. It's when brothers dwell together in unity. And you see it all through the scripture. Why? Because he's a God of relationship. It's all about relationship. This whole ball, spinning ball we live on was created for relationship. That got all fouled up in the garden, right? And we've been straining to get back to it ever since. Why do you think that the greatest thing that's ever under attack in your life is relationships? Why do you think two humans can't get along? Because there is a, an attack on relationship. There's an assault on relationship. Why do you think marriages have such a difficult time? Because the enemy knows if you ever get on the same page, you're going to be dangerous. Yeah. 
He knows if we get on the same page, we're going to be dangerous. If he can keep us gossiping, keep us complaining and mumbling and grumbling and whining about it's too loud, it's not loud enough, we need a better building, we need less building, we want to stay with Max. I mean, we can whine and moan all day long, and the enemy's just going, keep going, keep going. And it, because we can't get in agreement, there's no power. Because when two on earth agree, look at this. This is why there's church splits every day in America, everywhere. Churches are closing their doors right and left right now. Pastors are dropping like flies because of mumbling, grumbling, disagreement, gossip, and the inability to do life together because the violation and the attack is on relationship. You get offended, you get hurt. The Trojan horse in the church is offense. And you get offended and you go down the street and you carry your offense with you. You drag your Samsonite down there and then it happens all over again. You start to wonder, all these churches are messed up. Who's the common denominator? Hello. Yeah. Come on. Come on. This is the truth. I'm speaking the truth in love here because this is so critical to us advancing the ball down the field of the kingdom. We have got to get together on this thing and start laying our preferences down and say, what matters? What matters is the mission of Jesus in the earth, not how cold or hot the temperature is in the room. Yeah. Or how good or bad the music is. And ours happens to be really good, by the way. <laughs> so, I'm telling you, we have a lot of reason to move the ball. We, but trust me, humans will find a reason to complain. We'll find something. I don't like his new tattoos. I don't like, I mean, it's just, the list goes on and on and on. So listen to this. He says, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about what? Anything. Ooh. He's laying down. This is a truth bomb right here. He's laying down. Agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Now listen. We can throw out a lot of, is this qualify for the will of God? But here's what I know. He wants the body of Christ to be in unity. Do you believe that's the revealed will of God? Then we need to go after that. And we need to ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking until we're in unity. And I'm telling you, the day this church really comes into unity, we will not have enough chairs or services to provide for the people that will come to this place. I know that for a fact because I've experienced it before. I've been in it twice where I saw it happen and experienced unity. And sure enough, both times the enemy came like a flood trying to tear it up. So the greatest violation you'll ever experience will be a violation on relationship. Keep that in mind tomorrow when it happens. <laughs> or tonight. Or when you check your email or whatever, you get that text that sends you into orbit. Know where it's coming from. It's not from the person who sent it. It's from an enemy. And the discerning, by the way, the gift of discernment isn't discerning in knowledge. It's discerning of spirits that the scripture speaks of. I, I've got to stop. I'm going to land the plane here, but this is important. <laughs> so let me go. Let me chase that rabbit just for a minute. There's a, a gift list, and one of those is the discerning of spirits. But what we've done is we've We've lopped spirits off of it and say, oh, the gift of discernment. That means I'm smarter, or I've got wisdom. No, no, no. There's, a, there's a, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. We have knowledge, hidden treasure. We've got the mind of Christ. No, we already got all that. But the discerning of spirits is critical. That means when you get that text that sends you into orbit, you know the spirit behind it, and it's not the person who sent it. It's the entity that's behind the person who sent it. And when you have the discerning of spirits, you actually will not get offended when this stuff comes because you understand the real source of it. And when we can start to walk in these gifts, spiritual gifts are given to protect the body of Christ, to protect you. Not so you can have the stage and a microphone and put on a show. It's so the body of Christ will begin to function as it was designed to function. We call it the APES, the Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, and teacher, that when that's all flowing together and we're all working in symmetry and, and synchronicity together, we will be unstoppable. And we won't need programs to attract people here. We won't need fog machines. I know Russ wants one, but we, no, I'm kidding. He doesn't. But we won't need gimmicks. We won't need to advertise this and we won't be able to keep people out of this place. I know it and I know it's going to happen here. 
I know it's going to happen here. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Give us grace to come into agreement. Not agreement on personal stuff. Agreement with your word. Agreement with the revealed will of God concerning the lives of the people we intersect every day. That your heart is that none should perish. Lord, that should be our mission. That should be mission central, mission specific. That should be what we're after because that's what you're after. That we lay aside our preferences and our, and our silliness and our immaturity. That we grow up into all things into Christ. And we get on mission. Father, fishermen who don't fish fight. Lord, may we become fishers of men that are doing what we're called to do. We love you and I love these people. Thank you for their hearts here. Thank you for their hearts. Preaching to the choir tonight here. You're amazing. But Father, give us grace to let this fire spread out on Sunday morning in both services, Lord. That, that Oak Hills Church Fredericksburg, Bridge Church Fredericksburg will become an unstoppable force for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. Bless you.